0: And you've seen them. They're the ones that that aren't saved. They're the ones that run those uh, uh, those little places where they, uh, you know, uh, what do you call that? Mm-hmm. Hand reading, palm reading. Those are gypsies, amen. But they're good people when they get saved. They love God. They're excited about what God's doing. And uh, I'm telling you, I had a great time with those folks, man. It was awesome. Um, they, each of the, I want to share just a little bit of what, what happened. But each church, there's two churches that are there both churches are in two separate buildings. The uh, In, in uh, Czech Republic and Slovakia where these guys come from, most of them, they, 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 they kind of migrated from Slovakia to England. Before England wouldn't let them in there and then I don't know how long ago, maybe one generation ago, they started letting them come into England. England opened up the doors and millions of Muslims came but so did the Gypsies. And so they've come into that country from other countries so they speak Slovakian and Czech. Most of them speak like two or three languages, sometimes four. But um, it's not the same in England as it was for them while they were in the Czech Republic in, in, in Slovakia. Pastor Dustin will tell you over there, I mean, they put them in the outskirts of town. They live in places where they have no running water. Some places they have no plumbing. Uh, I mean, they, they, they treat them like dogs, man, in some parts of, the, of Europe. But in England, it's totally different. There's, there's a freedom that they have there. They're able to get jobs. Uh, they're able to have careers. And they love being there, and they want to reach that nation. And, uh, and I tell you what, if God won't use the English, he'll use the gypsies in England, amen? But each church has two separate buildings, and they're awesome buildings, I couldn't believe it. Really nice buildings, church buildings, because what's happened is they've opened up their arms, England, and there are Pentecostal churches, white Pentecostal churches that said, hey, come use our building when we're not in there. And so they have really nice uh, locations where they have church. In fact, one of the places where they have church, they're right next door to a mosque. And I asked them, how does that work for you? And they said, we love it. Cause they get to preach, amen, and and uh, preach at the Muslims, amen. Um. In in just it's just for information. You know they call them gypsies in the Czech and in uh, Slovakia, but in England they don't want to be called gypsies. To them it's a, it's a slur. They don't like it. They want to be called who they are. They're, they call themselves Ro- Romanized, R-O-M-A-N-I, the Romanai people. And so uh, they're uh, they're an amazing group of people because just. I don't know how many there are in England, but 15% of England is made up of them. Um, They don't really actually know where they come from. I mean, these guys actually don't know where they come from. I asked them, they said, well, we think maybe we came from India or we might have come from Egypt. They really don't know for sure because it's been so long. I mean, you and I, we find a coin on the ground that's 200 years old. And we're like, wow, look at this, a coin, 200 years old. But over there, they find coins that are 2,000 years old. So these people, man, have history. It goes way, way, way back. And uh, like you heard in the, in the video, there was a lot of miracles. They, listen, when you pray for them, they do believe God for miracles. Amen? They love to get prayed for. When you say, hey, I want to pray for you, man, they come running up. So we prayed for the, the, Holy Ghost on, the uh, on the last night. 30 people came up for the baptism of the Holy Ghost, right? They were all lined up, and, and, and several pastors were praying. We're just praying for them, for the Holy Ghost. Well, that lady that I talked about in the video, she um, she was standing off on the side, and, and we're just praying for people. We're not doing nothing weird. We're Pentecostals, right? We, we pray for people. Man, she snatched me up. She grabbed me by my arm and, Stop it! Stop it! She's screaming at me. And in and the video, I have the video. You can see me going, Stop what? <laughs> and she says, She says, This is not God. I said, ma'am, we're, I didn't want to get him kicked out of the building. I said, we're, we're just who we are. I said, we're praying for the Holy Ghost. Uh, we're praying for people to get healed. We're just believing God for them. And she said, I am, she says, I'm saved. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, but I don't have to speak in tongues. And, and, and really, this message that I want to preach tonight is kind of based off of what she said. Because we live in a generation today, man, that, that, um, that has a form of godliness but denies the power thereof. And if if you don't know it, we are Pentecostals. We are who we are. We're we're not trying to hide it. We don't want to take a Holy Ghost eraser and go to the book of Acts and take three quarters of it out because we want to make people feel comfortable. I mean, the the gospel, Pastor Jones has said this over and over and over. The gospel is a confrontation. It's confrontational. It's a collision of souls when you preach the gospel. You're not trying to offend people, but it offends. How many of y'all like to be called sinners when you first heard it? I many liked it when you said, hey, you gonna go to hell if you don't get saved? Did you say, oh, thank you so much, <laughs> amen? No, but the gospel's confrontational. And so, uh, oh, th- listen to this. That one lady that I was talking about, she was completely deaf in one ear. And uh, she had, she, I mean, she couldn't hear nothing. When her ear opened up, she started going like this. And I said, what's wrong to the, to the interpreter? She said, it's too loud, it's too loud. I mean, it was, it was a good time, I had a great time. And I want to tell you, you guys got to continue to pray for them. If you want to write their names down or pastor, I can give it to you later. But it's Pastor Volta, and I forgot his wife's name, Sharice can tell you. Pastor Ruda, those are the two pastors that are there. Uh, pastor, uh, pastor Pavel and Pastor Oscar, they're both in the Czech Republic. And from the Czech Republic, their, their, their goal is to get all through Europe, plant churches all over the place. They want to see God touch that, touch Europe and the UK. Amen. So I told them, I promised them that you guys would pray for them. So let's pray for them every day. Remember them in prayer. Amen? So if you have your Bibles, turn over to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. 1 through 5. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. It says this. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unholy, unthankful, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self control, brutal and despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse five, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. That word, that word, in that verse 5 where he says having a form of godliness but denying its power, it actually translates in the Greek having a semblance or, or their religion is only based on creeds or formal confessions of faith or I like to define it as they're just nice people. How many met some really nice Christians? They're just nice people until you speak in tongues. They're just really nice people until you talk about miracles. And, and, and we live in a generation today of Christians that talk the talk, but they really certainly do not walk the walk, and you guys know what I'm talking about. You some of you came up in churches like that. They talk about evangelism, but they don't evangelize. They talk about God healing the sick, but they don't pray for the sick. They talk about uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit, but nobody wants to speak in tongues. And so, I mean, if I don't know, maybe I'm reading the Bible wrong, but when I read the book of Acts, they're pretty fanatical, they're pretty radical. I mean, when a man walks down the street and his shadow's healing the sick as he's walking by, I mean, when they, when they say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, I mean, that's pretty radical. And just because it's 2015 and we got all dignified and got computers and, and tech, got techno doesn't mean God's changed his mind on how he does things. Amen? Amen. <laughs> you know, the amazing thing about this lady that came up to me, we, we ended up well, the gypsies ended up grabbing her and dancing with her. I mean, she was freaking out because we're praying for people. But then when they started dancing, they grabbed her. And here's this white English lady dancing like this because she can't help it. They're dragging her around. And they ended up praying for her, you know, because she was all stressed out. Because what happened was that uh, one of the pastors was praying for someone, and it sounded like a demon came out of a lady. And it just totally blew her mind. Here's a woman that grew up in church but doesn't believe that people can have a devil. Hey, this building used to have lots of devils in it, amen, before you all got here. Amen. Hey, if you don't believe there's devils, go to the White House. Amen. Go all over. Go to go to any go to Congress. Amen. Go 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 meet a politician. You'll find lots of devils. Amen. But you know, when she um when she when she was grabbing me and she was yelling at me, the pastors were praying for people. It was amazing that all around her people were being healed. All around her, people were being filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. People were crying and weeping. God was touching people, some for the first time. Lives were being changed, but yes, yeah, she didn't see that. All she saw is things were different than what she's used to. All she saw was it's not like her formal, really nice, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, come to church. In fact, I met her pastor. He came up to talk to me, had a big church. But I'm telling you right now, megachurches aren't what is going to change this country. Megachurches aren't what going. It's what's going to bring revival in this last in these last days. It's signs, wonders, and miracles that's going to touch the hearts of people. What's going to get a Muslim saved? Are you going to go up to him and tell him right, you need to believe my black book? Because guess what, he's got a black book too. It's called the Quran. Amen. What's what's the difference between us and them? What's the difference between Jehovah Witnesses and us? What's the difference between the Mormons and us? What's the difference between nominal Christianity and Pentecostal Holy Ghost filled? Full gospel believers. I tell you what's the difference. Signs, wonders, miracles. And we believe that the cross is the center of everything. Billy Graham said the same thing. He said the cross is the, is the crux of the matter. It's where everything changes. It's where lives are touched. It's where people are changed. The first time anyone ever talked to me about the gospel, I was going into a liquor store in California with a, a bunch of guys. Did you guys see that picture of me standing with all those gypsies? Didn't it look like the gypsy mafia? That one picture, I don't know if you remember it. Well, I was with a bunch of guys just like that, and we were going into a liquor store, and a very bold guy, this was years ago, he was standing in front of the liquor store, and and there was only one way to walk the path, and he's handing out tracks like this, just like we do today. It ain't changed. And I, and, and all my friends walked by him and went into the liquor store, but I, I had a little soft spot in my heart, you know what I mean? I had a lot of things going on in my life, and I needed God, amen? I was homeless. I was uh, I was an alcoholic. I had failed all kinds of areas, things in my life everything in my life was falling apart but when this guy gave me this track on the track I still remember it so many years ago it was a cross and Jesus was hanging on a cross on this track and I remember looking at that track and I felt that that was the first time I've ever felt God I mean I just felt like he came all over me and I didn't know what that was I just knew I felt like you know all of heaven was looking down at me and all my sin and that man began to talk to me And tell me that God loved me and had a plan for my life. And believe it or not, I prayed with him right there while they're getting the liquor. And I always shared this testimony because he forgot to tell me what to do next. Because I had never been in church. So I got saved and I was like, wow, this is great. Then when my friends came outside, they said, what happened? I said, I got saved. They said, well, let's celebrate. We went and got drunk. (laughs) Amen. But God planted that seed and I got saved a few years later in the church we're in now. Amen. The Bible talks about, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, talks of a falling away in the last days. And I know we don't usually like to talk about that, a falling away. And, but, but that word, that, it's a Greek word, apostasia, where we get the word apostasy. But it also means defection, revolt, and it's also similar to the word divorce. So it says in the last days that there will be a divorce from the church. There'll be a divorce from the gospel. People will begin to do things to try to draw a crowd. They would rather have a crowd than preach the gospel. Pastor Jones said in a discipleship the other day, we were in a discipleship, he said, I would rather have 200 men and women that want to go do something for God, 200 men and women that I could disciple, send around the world, than he said to have 20,000 people to stare at me every Sunday morning, Sunday night. Right. Amen. You know, that's, there, there, There's a, let me read the scripture again. Actually, it's in... Uh, turn over to Matthew. I want to read Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24, I don't hear, no pages turning, so it must be, you guys man, know your word, man, hallelujah, just shake the page, amen, make me me feel good, Matthew 24, it's verse 5, listen to what Jesus said concerning the end times, He said, And take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and deceive many. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Do you know that kingdom against kingdom also has to do races? Race against race. And there will be diseases, pestilences, famines, In various places and all these at the beginning of sorrows and they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake and many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another and then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many and because lawlessness will abound the love of many will grow cold you know what I think he's talking about right there he's talking about other Christians he says because lawlessness will abound the love of many will grow cold You and I, we look around, we see the crazy things that are going on. It's like, man, what's going on? You know, I preach, I tell people about Jesus, but what's happening? It's very discouraging. It's like, man, I don't know if we're making a difference. You know, when I went to England and I walked around, I was a little pea amongst millions and millions and millions of people. They were everywhere like ants. And it made me feel so insignificant, so tiny, like, what am I doing for God? But I realized, man, there's, there's a lot more to it than just you and I, amen? And you, you really don't know the impact that you make when you t- when, just by your lifestyle and when you share the gospel. You have no idea the impact that you make. You have no idea until you get to heaven how much of an impact you made in this life. Amen. So when I read this, listen, listen, listen to verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. But when I normally read this, when I read through this, I always bypass verse 14. And the gospel of the kingdom, he says, will be preaching all the world as a witness to all nations. Then the end will come. But I'm always focused on the wars, the rumors of wars, the diseases, and all these things. And I always bypass that. And you know, it's very easy for you and I of this generation with all the crazy things that are happening to say, you know what, I'm just hoping for the rapture. I'm just believing God to get out of here. I I hear people say it all the time. So they decide not to be so involved. Because Jesus is coming back. And so there's no urgency. And, and then really that's what happens to a lot of Christians. A lot of times people will leave your church and they'll go to other churches where they feel more comfortable because they don't have to speak in tongues. Because they don't have to uh, go out and evangelize. Because they don't have to get involved. All they got to do is sit there every week and get fed and go home and be a good Christian, be a good person and go to work and be a good person and lifestyle evangelism. But that is not what we're called to do. The gospel is a confrontation of souls. He said, Go into all the world and preach. And that preach is always a proclamation. It's a lifting up of your voice. When when I met those two guys on the street, um and they, they were people were throwing things at him. They were they were yelling at him, cussing at him. And he, he's in the middle of the city square in Sheffield, millions of people. And I mean they're going by and, and they ain't paying attention to them. He's got that sign. And when I begin to talk to that guy. He looked over at the Catholic, it was a Catholic church not far, and he looked over and he began to cry. He was weeping. And he said, he said, England has forgotten God. Amen. You see, if you don't know the history of England, England's had some of the greatest revivals in the world. He right. had some of the greatest preachers come out of there throughout the centuries. Great men of God. Wesley, I mean, you go down the list of men that have come out of there, men and women that, have, that, that were on fire for God that came up out of England. Yeah. But, but listen, we're not far behind. This nation's not far behind. And, it, and the reason why I want to share this with you tonight, it can become very discouraging when you look around and you realize and you think in your own heart that you're not making a difference. If I'm making such a difference, why is this happening? If I'm making such a difference, why my, is my family not being saved? And you know what? Really, in any message that you can preach, you can't really uh, share or you can't like open your eyes to see all that God's doing in your life. You have no idea the impact that you're making. If God was to come along and just open up spiritually, just open up and show you the dots and how he's connecting this over here and that's being connected over here and this over here. And the reason why you went through this trial is because as soon as you get through this over here, this person's going to get saved. You have no idea what God's doing. You you don't know how important this church is here in Denton, Texas. You You have no idea. This fellowship, this conference, we're not the only ducks in the pond, but we're in the pond. Amen? Amen. You know, I have, I'll be honest with you. I, I'm, I'm the guy that used to say for a while, I got pretty discouraged. A lot of things happened in my life and, and I, I had some failures and different things that happened and I was thinking, man, I'm, I'm just hoping for the rapture, man. I, I, I tell guys I say so what you doing this week hoping for the rapture I waiting for a rapture you know, that's all I talked about uh, raptures happen next week what happens when your kids get, what happens when your grandson gets older oh, he ain't gonna get older man He's, rapture's gonna happen I used to say that when my kids were little but let me tell you we don't know when the rapture's gonna happen yeah it might happen tonight but we've got a job and, and you know, I want to tell you something I truly believe that God is not done with England I truly believe that God's not done with Ireland, the revivals of Ireland and America and Africa and different places. God's not done. Yeah. Listen, the, the, the Bible says the nations are a drop in the bucket to God. The Bible says, men, that God's got a plan. And I don't, I don't care. They can, they've been trying to kick God out of every aspect of our society. Come on, you read it. You see it. In our government, it is never, Christianity has never been so assaulted as it has now. I, I spent four years in the military And uh, in the military, when you talked about God, man, they, they used to give out little Gideon's Bibles. They had these little Bibles you could take them with you. They always talked about God. They always, I mean, if somebody came in and preached, everybody was excited. I mean, we talked about Jesus. We said the name Jesus when I was in the military. Today, you can't mention the name of Jesus. You can't even be in a, you can't be a chaplain unless you're willing to do a Islamic service beside a Catholic service, beside a Buddhist service. And so what's happened is people don't read their Bibles and Christians don't understand that the Bible says in the last days, listen, there's going to be a one world church that's going to rise up. And I used to think it was going to come out of Rome and be the Catholic church. And they might be a part of it, but I personally believe it's going to be Islam. Amen? A one-world church that's going to rise up, that's just my personal opinion, and going to persecute Christians. They're already killing Christians. Just recently, they killed 30 Christians. They chopped their heads off, and uh, these guys, all they were was peasants, and they were trying to get jobs. They captured these guys, and they cut their heads off. But because we're in America, and it's out of sight, out of mind to you and I, it's just like some story we read in a book. It's not real to us. Nobody's wearing a backpack and running into Walmart over here. Nobody's trying to kill us yet. But I'm telling you, it's coming. And you and I better know what we believe, and we better be ready. Amen? Amen. So as I begin to think about, you know, all these things that they want, they would prefer that Christians would stay within the four walls of the church. They would prefer that we keep our mouths shut. They would prefer that we keep our religion to ourselves. Right. God says in Psalms 37, the wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. And the Lord, he laughs at them for he sees that his day is coming. Right. So as I begin to think about, you know, these last days and, and all that's happening, I thought... What's going to change this generation? What is it that's going to cause revival to be poured out in this generation? Maybe just in America because that's where we want to see revival. I want to see revival in my own life, but I want to see revival in America. What's going to cause that? I believe we're in a revival, but I want to see something that's going to go nationwide. Yeah. And what would happen? Is, is it the mega church that's going to bring it? No, that's not it. Is it the politi- politically correct Christians? Or the Krishlam gospel, you might have heard that, a mixture of Islam and Christianity, amen? Is those the things that brings revival? No. The gospel message hasn't changed. It's a message of go. Jesus still saves, the cross is the answer, and I'm telling you, signs, wonders, and miracles should always follow the preaching of the word. I'm here to tell you, no Muslim has ever gotten anyone healed. You can get mad at me if you want, but no Muslim's ever got anyone healed. No Buddhist has ever got anyone healed. Nobody from Christian ever got anybody hail or filled with the Holy Ghost. Jesus said he was very exclusive. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. That's pretty exclusive. And today they want to, I mean, if you step back and you're not a Christian and you just step back and you look at what's happening, the whole landscape of what's happening, you'd, you'd say to yourself, man, this gospel must be real because who are they persecuting? The Jews and Christians. What does the Bible say in the last days? They would persecute who? Jews and Christians. I mean, all these things that are happening, all the things that Jesus spoke would happen. It's almost as though Christians in this generation have blinders on because they're afraid of confrontation. Now, in that scripture that I read earlier, verse 14, he said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. He did not say it has been preached. He said it will be preached. So it's always an ongoing gospel. God hadn't changed his mind how he does it. We're not going to redefine the gospel or we're going to, you know, make it different uh, so we don't offend people. But here's what I want to share with you tonight really quickly. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a supernatural gospel. So I'm going to give you four reasons the gospel is supernatural. First of all, in Acts 10 and 38, this is what it said about Jesus. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Then he said in the book of John, and these signs shall follow them, or actually uh, in Mark, these signs shall follow them that believe. But in the book of John, he said, greater work shall you do because I go to my father. Now God, God equipped us, he anointed us, he commands us to go. So here's the first reason. Number one, in Hosea chapter 11 verse nine, it says, he says, I am God and not man. So number one, God is supernatural. God's not a man. He's not a man that he should lie. There are two false prophets in these last days that I know about that are running around saying that they're Jesus. One of them is a guy, he came up somewhere out of South America. Now I think he's based out of Florida. He has millions and millions of people that believe he's actually Jesus on the earth. Yeah. And when he walks into the room, you know the songs that you sing? They sing those songs to him because they think he's Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so this guy, man, he, he was, he's an ex-heroin addict who was in prison... And somehow he's conned all these people into thinking he's Jesus. And they ask him, when did you become Jesus? And sometime in life he said, Jesus came inside of me, so now I'm Jesus. And then there's another guy. And you would have never thought that. When I first got saved, I thought, man, nobody can con millions upon millions of people into thinking that they're Jesus. Come on. Well, there's another lady in Korea and her husband who've conned all kinds of people into saying that when the rapture happens, we're getting raptured to South Korea. And this lady says that she's the Holy Spirit and that her husband's Jesus. The problem is he died a couple years ago. And so they just said, well, he went, to, he went back to heaven. And they, they got these people conned. They're in my city. I mean, I met them. One of the kids that used to, uh, one of the girls that got saved under my wife, it's her son got involved in that cult. Wow. Listen, it's amazing to me. And they go after young people. So for number one, God's a supernatural God. He's not a man. And he's not a man that he should lie. Number two, The Bible is a supernatural book. It's a supernatural book. He says in the book of Hebrews, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And that being translated, when you read this, it reads you. When I told the gypsies that, (laughs) they never heard that. They were cheering. I said, when you read it, it reads you. How many ever picked up the Bible, man? You're going through something. I'm not saying you're flipping through it and trying to get a word from God. You're just in your daily reading, you're reading. And all of a sudden, man, it's like you get this word from God, a rhema word, blam, and that's for me. That's for me because the word of God is living. It's a living, living, living Bible. It's a supernatural book. So number one, God's a supernatural God. And number two, the Bible is a supernatural book. Number three... The new birth is a supernatural birth. He said in John 3, 7, you must be born again. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. By the time I was 26 years old, guess how many times I got arrested? 26. (laughs) But I didn't get arrested when I was one years old. It was all between, you know, 13 and, and 26. 26 times. Either I'm really stupid or uh, or I, I had a devil. I, I thought I had both, amen? But when I got saved, the day that my wife and I walked into the church, we'd only been married one year. We were on the verge of divorce. I was, I was facing prison. Had all these problems. I was an alcoholic. And that day I walked into the church and I, it was the first time I've ever heard a real sermon. I really felt the Holy Spirit. It was a Sunday morning. Pastor Jones was preaching. And I felt like, I felt like it was one of, those, one of those moments in life that you never forget. Yeah. And when he said, every head bowed and every eye closed, I bowed my head. And when he said, if you need Jesus, you need to be saved, I want you to raise your hand. I didn't wait for my wife. I knew I had issues. But when I looked over, she had her hand up too. And that Sunday morning, there must have been maybe 800 people there. My wife and I and only one other person got saved that Sunday morning. I got to thinking about that. Pastor Jones, you know, he preaches hard out that Sunday morning. He might have, like some preachers, got a little discouraged. Man, where, why wasn't more people, why did more people come to the altar? He didn't know that we were going to stay saved. Amen. And, and I'm telling you, man, the impact that you make in life, you have no idea. But, but it's a supernatural birth. I'm transformed. But the problem is, is that the world don't believe you're transformed. Your family don't believe you're transformed. It's a supernatural birth. And it takes. sometimes it takes time for people to see that you're not joking around. Her fa- My father-in-law used to tell me. He goes, oh, you'll get over it. It's a phase in your life. It's a phase because he used to bond me out of jail, you know, and give me all these. These, this, these talks, these father-son talks, you know, and uh, but he'd say, "You're gonna get over it." Well, I ain't over it yet. Been 30 years, I'm still not over it. Amen. Yeah. So the new birth is a supernatural birth. Number four, the Christian life is a supernatural life. He said in John 14:12, "Most assuredly I say unto you, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father." Hebrews 10 and 39, now the just shall live by faith. You and I are called to be a supernatural people. You're not called to be nominal Christians. You're called to be a supernatural person. Amen? The Bible says signs and wonders follow the preaching of the word. When you witness to people, when you talk to your family, I'm telling you, man, God does something. When people would talk to me about Jesus, Holy Ghost fill people, something happens on the inside. You know the scripture where he says one, one plants the seed. One waters, but God brings the increase. I'm telling you, man, this experience that you and I have, this Christian life is a supernatural life. Why do you think the devil fights it so hard? Why doesn't the devil mess with some of these nominal Christians? These really nice Christian people. You know, they don't speak in tongues. They don't pray for the sick. They're nice people. They have really clean lives. But yet they don't preach the gospel. They're not getting people saved. They're they're stealing them out of other people's churches. I, I used to call it a spiritual vacuum cleaner. We had a church in our town. They were a spiritual vacuum cleaner. They weren't reaching the lost. All they were doing was reaching into other churches. You can hear the sound. They're, they have some big event and they're trying to suck everybody out of every other church. What happens when somebody leaves your church? Why is it that three weeks later they're the head of they're the head of some ministry in another church? Amen. You know, ministry ought to be something, man, that's that's Fought for. Ministry ought to be something that's important. Amen. That's why we wait three months before we ever even use anybody. They need to know what we believe. It ought to be important. Anything worth anything costs something. There's a price to pay. If it was really easy and we could just do what we want, everybody would do it. Amen. But there needs to be a cost when it's associated with the gospel. And lastly, Jesus is a supernatural healer. And he said in Exodus 15 and uh, 26, he said, I am the Lord who heals you. He's the healer of the brokenhearted. He's the healer of broken marriages. He healed my marriage. He's the healer of the broken body. He healed my broken leg. He's healed broken bone. He's healed me so many times, it's ridiculous. I wanna close with this scripture because this is probably one of the most profound stories in the Bible as it relates to healing. And it's found in Mark chapter 1 in verse 40. And you've got to understand, I'm going to talk about a man here who was a leper. And I, I actually ran into somebody who was a leper once. I, it was, I was cleaning carpets somewhere, and uh, it was in Colorado Springs, and, uh, and I was cleaning carpets, and I had come outside, and a truck had pulled up. And there was some people in the truck, and there was a, another person in the truck. And I looked in, and because I read the Bible, and I understand what the words said, so I looked in there, and I asked the guy, I, I go, is she a leper? And he goes, yeah, she's, she had leprosy. I mean, she, she was white. She, had, she looked like what they describe in the Bible. They, you know, that disease is not exactly the same as it used to be in biblical times. Today, man, I, I think, I forgot, they call it Hansen's disease today. But back then, during biblical times, it was very contagious. I'm talking very contagious. I don't know if it was airborne or just by touch. But whenever lepers came around, people scattered. And they were supposed to yell out, unclean, unclean. And people would take off running in different directions. They lived in colonies. They were treated like dogs. They were separated from their families. They were separated from their friends. They lost their jobs. They couldn't go back to their wives or their kids because they were lepers. And so they were separated, and really the only way they ate, the only way that they were able to be taken care of was by the, by the you know, people who were merciful and, and took food to them. Right. Here this man is. Now I can imagine the disciples walking with Jesus. He's healing the sick. He's opening the eyes of the blind. He's picking up cripples. And all of a sudden, man, this leper comes running on the scene. It doesn't say this, but you've got you to gotta think sometimes that he came and fell on his knees in front of Jesus, and he said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I bet you those 12 disciples jetted. I bet they took off. I bet as soon as this leper came up and threw his hat off and they saw he was a leper, they were gone. I bet the crowd scattered. And I bet he knew that because he he got a he had a front row seat with Jesus. I truly believe this man somewhere saw Jesus heal the sick. I believe he saw maybe blind Bartimaeus from a distance get healed, or he saw Jesus do this or that, he heard the stories. But he had, also heard the stories that Jesus, when he healed people, most, a lot of people, he touched them. He laid his hand physically on them. He put his hands on a blind man. He grabbed somebody by their hand, and he touched them. So he made this, this, this really bold statement. He said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And I believe what he was saying was, if you're willing, you touch me. And you know what, Jesus? I want to tell you. He said something that is real today as it was 2,000 years ago. He said, I am willing. And I want to tell you today, he's still willing. It doesn't matter, man, what kind of, what you've done, where you've been, what you've been through, what, what tags somebody's put on you. You know, we live in a society today that doesn't forgive each other. Somebody commits a felony for the rest of their lives are called a felon. Somebody does, somebody does some kind of a crime or, or fails in some area of life. We have a tendency, man, to, to, to put tags on people. And sometimes churches can be the worst because somebody fails in church and boom, we never forgive, amen? We never forget. But I'm here to tell you, God does. And Jesus said, I am willing. And he reached out and he touched this man and he was completely made whole. You know what's amazing about that story is I personally think that this man hadn't touched anybody in a long time. Depending on how long he's had leprosy, whether it was months or years, no one had touched him. Who would touch him? Can you imagine going through your life? We, We come to church and we shake hands. We hug each other. We, we, we love on each other but do you know man that when you don't touch another human being there's something about touch they say I, I heard a study done about babies when a child is born if that baby was put into a crib and just fed but not touched over a period of time that baby dies because there's something about that touch especially the touch of a mother have you noticed that with a child they want to be held they want to be held and you know something in life there's something very powerful about a handshake there's something very powerful about a hug So here's a man who hadn't had anybody touch him. And the first person to touch him and heal him was Jesus. And I want to tell you, God wants to touch you tonight. Right where you're at and whatever you're dealing with, whatever your situation is, he's always willing to touch you. You may have failed. You may have had mistakes. But I'm telling you, he's still the healer of the brokenhearted. He's still the healer of the broken body. And he's still the healer of the broken marriage. Amen. Amen. I want to... I want to close with this, you know I've read this scripture over and over over the years and it's in Joel actually Joel chapter 2 when I first got saved our church had just come out of a revival it was a Jesus people revival God had poured his power out across this nation other parts of the world men and women rose up to preach went around the world preaching when you talk about revival there's no way I could explain this in just a few minutes but when you talk about revival there are three types of revival there is a, a, a national revival where an entire country is touched by the gospel maybe a revival broke out you read about the Welsh revival it touched the entire region and in there uh, bars closed I mean prostitutes stopped. I mean, all kinds of great things happen. Then there, is, there are, there are uh, revivals that are more localized in a church or maybe in a city, in an area, revivals. Or, but there are also individual revival. And you know, really, man, I've always, wanted, I've always said, well, God, give us revival. God, give me revival. God, give me revival. And you know what? I've come to the conclusion. If I want revival, I need to be a revival. Revival doesn't start from your pastor. It starts in your own heart. In my heart, I want revival. What is revival? Well, the definition of revival, it's a coming back. It's it's, it's its a coming back. It's coming back to God. It's getting on fire for God. It's turning from our sin, looking to the cross, and saying, Jesus, you're the only way, and having revival in our own hearts. And there are disciplines that you and I need to have as believers. In other words, listen, you can't be a Christian and not pray, and not read, and not go to church. I'm sorry. You will eventually slip away. There are disciplines and things that you need to do to be a Christian, to be strong. If you were in the military... When I was in the military, there were certain things that I had to do. I had to be certified. I had I had to. When I had my weapon, I had to go out and I had to train with my weapon, and I had to to be a sharpshooter. I had to. I had to shoot targets, and I had to, you know, so many targets to be able to qualify. There are certain things you need to do to qualify. There's always something. But I'm telling you, as a believer, and you want to make it for God, you need to pray. You need to have connection with your God every day. David talks about that. He says, "Early will I seek you." Amen. Best time to praise in the morning. I know you can pray anytime, but the best time to pray is in the morning. The kids are asleep. The phone's not ringing. You're not thinking about bills or whatever. Morning time is a good time to pray. And you know another thing? You need to read this word because this is your, this is your roadmap to a good marriage. This is a roadmap on how to treat people. This is a roadmap on how to raise kids. This will teach you how to be a good Christian. You need to read every day a good Bible, man. Amen. These are just disciplines. You know what? You need to be in church. You need to be in church. Amen. You need to be around other Christians. You are who you hang around. Amen. You become who you hang around. You can't sit there listening to crazy music and Snoop Diggity Dog and ACDC or whatever and then come to church and lift your hands and say, Jesus is Lord, amen? amen. And so you need to be around other believers. You need to allow somebody to speak into your life. You need to allow someone to correct you when you need correction. Amen. I allow people to correct me. Listen, I need to be corrected just like anybody else, but I have to have the right attitude when it comes to correction. You need to read. You need to pray. You need to be in church. And I want you to be baptized in water. And you want to know something else that every believer needs to do? You need to evangelize and witness. I always carry tracks on me wherever I go. Wherever I go, whether it's to the waitress or the cab driver or wherever I'm at, I want to give somebody a track like they gave me a track that day. Because I, I may never see that person again. He may become an evangelist. He may go preach in Argentina or go somewhere else and become a great man or woman for God. Because I handed him a simple track and said, Jesus loves you. You want revival? Revival starts right here. It starts in your own heart. Mm -hmm. Get the sin out, look to the cross, and let God use your life. Let's finish with this. In Joel chapter 2, verse 23, he said, Be glad then, you children of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you. The former rain and the latter rain. That's a double portion blessing. Listen to this in verse 28. He said, and it shall come to pass in the last days that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And also on my maid, men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out of my spirit in those days. Verse 32, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. I want to tell you, this conference is very important. This, this conference is super important, not only for us, this church, our fellowship, but for all the people that are going to be saved the rest of this year. The lives are going to be touched in other countries. People depend on you guys. Did you know that? These guys in England are depending on you. These guys in Kenya, in the Congo, in, in Costa Rica, they depend on this, this fellowship. They depend on us to pray for them. They depend on us to support them. They depend on us. I want to be who God called me to be. I want to do what God's called me to do. So my goal, I'm going to tell you the truth. I want to have revival in me. I'm, I am, I'm in the midst right now of a, I'm a, like God is tearing something out of me. I feel like God wants to just shake me and change me. And that's my prayer for all of us is that God would change us. I don't want to be the same person in next year that I am today. I don't want to be the same rotten person I am right now next year. I want God to change me from glory to glory to glory. Amen. Would you stand with me?